Hello, it's 22nd of September 2019 and this is episode 116 of Scavengers Horde, a Stars podcast. I'm Rachel. In Kirsty's absence, I'm joined by... Hi, I'm Marie-Claire Gould and I'm from What the Force podcast and I'm very happy that you invited me. I've been a fan for a really long time, so thank you. Oh, no, you're more than welcome. Um, I've really wanted to have you on the show for a while because, yeah, we met in London. God, it feels like a long time ago. I guess it was about a year ago. Almost, more. yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. Um, and, yeah, we did, like, a little impromptu podcast together then, I think, um, reviewing the musical Mythic, mm-hmm. which is amazing, and people should check out the soundtrack if they haven't. Um, and, yeah, but while we did that we haven't ever recorded anything together about Star Wars so this seemed like the perfect opportunity um so yeah I'm very glad to have you here so thank you for making time for this um yep and just to explain we deliver a regular rundown of Star's news analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga so I'd like to ask you the traditional question, like how has your week been in terms of Star Wars stuff? What has what have you seen that's excited you the most? Oh goodness. Uh I think that the the biggest thing oh, there's been a couple of things. There was the really interesting kind of advent calendar <laughs> leak. So <laughs> <laughs> like it okay, so first it started out as uh, a cover of Insider magazine. So mm-hmm. one half of it uh will be of kind of the first order, Kylo Ren, Supreme Leader, I'm using quotations in the air. Uh <laughs> on that whole side will be on Star Wars Insider magazine as, you know, kind of one of the optional covers coming out in the next month so they released that side of it but everyone was like hey wait there's a lightsaber that's crossing over into his field of vision that's definitely Ray's the legacy lightsaber the skywalker saber and so people were like huh where is this from and then suddenly out of nowhere this like merry christmas advent calendar popped out of nowhere with all of the little numbers on it and it's the full picture cropped because i think there might be more characters on like the peripheral on Ray's side. Mm -hmm. But it like shows them kind of with their two sides and behind them is twin sons. Yeah. No, it's very striking imagery, isn't it? It's quite reminiscent of the Vanity Fair photo shoot Mm -hmm. that they did. Um, So I believe that in that one, you have a sunrise behind Ray and a sunset behind Kylo. And yeah, there's obviously all that complementarity going on between the two characters, which we've had pretty much since the sequel trilogy began. And yeah, giving us those real Tatooine vibes, basically. So yeah, Rain Kylo were a package still, essentially. Yeah, like they're they're marketed pretty much together from TLJ on. It, it they are a package deal. They are the two halves of the same protagonist as Ryan Johnson would say. And then uh, a mutual of mine actually pointed out that the, you know, kind of Jedi prime Jedi symbol actually has two balls in the air Mm. next to it, kind of on either side of this like dual persona Jedi. And one is dark and one is light in the opposite field. And oh wow! It was like that was a great observation. <laughs> is this? Are they literally drawing comparisons between 
Kylo and Rey and intertwined twin sons. And I'm not saying twins is in there related because that's like physically not possible um, for them to be actually twins. But are they like spiritually intertwined? Is that what the symbolism is telling us? And it seems to be like they're they're pulling this out over and over and over again. And there's been more instances of these kind of like twin sun symbolism. So I suspect that leading into the Rise of Skywalker, we're going to get way more of that symbolism, especially in the marketing. Yeah. No, if it's like you say, I think it's pretty much inevitable, um, especially if this is some of the first imagery we're seeing. Um, because, yeah, like the merchandise imagery, even if it's cheesy and a bit childish sometimes, is basically like, let's slap every character we have on this thing. Um, it does tell you a lot about how they're trying to sell the movie and what they're saying the main focal points are. Mm -hmm. And yeah, no, I'm intrigued, as yes. I always am, about Star Wars. Um, but yeah, it's a nice choice of imagery and it'll be fascinating to see how it blooms. Um, yeah, and for me, um, I went to a really cool exhibition today that was basically for a prop auction. And if anyone listening is in London in the UK, I really recommend that people go to the BFI IMAX in the next week to check it out. So they have a bunch of Star Wars stuff on display. And I put it out on Twitter, but the best thing they have is a baby Ewok. Oh, the baby Ewok! They have the baby Ewok for sale. It can be yours for the low, low price of £50,000. It's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, it's a really cool little exhibition. And they also have a bunch of lightsabers. Um, they had Dooku's, Luke's and Anakin's. And yeah, those babies will set you back a lot of money. You could honestly buy a terraced house for... You could probably buy two terraced houses in some parts of the country for the cost of one of these sabers. Because yeah, like their asking price was about £100,000. Oh my goodness. So, yeah, it's a lot. And that's a substantially higher number of dollars for Americans. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm definitely not going to be taking any of that home, but it's nice to look at while it's available to the Joe public for free. So I recommend going to check it out. And excitingly, I'm also going to the Royal Albert Hall tomorrow to watch The Empire Strikes Back in oh, concert. Oh, we went to that. Like, well, we ended up actually meeting up for a new hope that's so exciting exactly oh, yeah my heart, i know I'm, it's really I'm, good i wish i was there with you again it was so much Aww. fun it was just it was so much fun to experience um you know a new hope in concert with you know other female fans that could hear it mm. and and experience it with me and of course all the yeah. other fans in the audience who also just really loved it but it just um I don't know. It was very validating to sit with you and Riri. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's pretty magical. And I'm really glad to do it again for Empire Strikes Back. Um, I'm going with Miranda, actually, who composed the original Scavengers Horde theme. So that'll oh, be really amazing. nice. Um, yeah. We won't be in quite as nice a setting because we just went for the cheap seats, which is to say not seats at all. We're standing at the top. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm sure it will still be amazing. And it's about hearing that music and watching that mm -hmm. movie, which we will get to do. So yeah, it should be pretty I can't awesome. wait for the Imperial March for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, definitely. I, for me, it's all going to be about Han and Leia's oh, nice. theme. It's just so beautiful. I love that. 
Um, but yeah, it's all going to be awesome and I'm very excited for that. Um, okay, but let's move into the main part of the show. So the first thing that we want to talk about is we wanted to play a game of catch up with the various comic books that have been released in the last few weeks. Because we have new comic books for Snoke, Ray, and Rose as part of the Age of Resistance mm-hmm. series. And I believe you've read all of these now, yes, I have. right? Okay, amazing. As as have I. I caught up with all of them yesterday and I felt very accomplished. <laughs> um, and yeah, my first question then is which of these was the standout for you? Which one did you enjoy the most? Oh, it's got to be the Snoke one. Um, just mm. because they keep they keep Kylo under this like weird mystery box as much as they can. And this is the first time that we've really gotten to see him you know, reflectively vulnerable as much as in TLJ. And a lot of the things that we saw with the Ray comic, um, although important because it paralleled uh, Padme in, in some really interesting ways. And there was a lot of, oh, underworld symbolism and just just really fascinating uh, conceptual things. Um, was not very interesting, unfortunately. It it didn't really, sp- yeah. I don't know, spark the mind. <laughs> and uh, the Rose comic was very sweet and, and wonderful and so interesting. But it felt like kind of too much too late. Like, I, this is all stuff I, I would have wanted all the way along and all the time, you know? I don't know. That's, that's right. kind of, it's a little negative of me, but... <laughs> No, no, it's yeah. fine. You're on here to share your genuine yeah. opinion. So stay however you feel about it. I have a lot of thoughts about like how much they put into the Snoke comic. And they tried very hard to do similarly with Rey. I did find some interesting symbolism in the Rose comic, um, which I can bring up in a bit. But it, it's, it was wonderful in and of itself. It just didn't feel like it, it was just too much too late. I, I totally get where you're coming from. Like, it's really tricky for me. I enjoyed all of them on mm-hmm. some level. Um, but for me, I agree that the Ray one was definitely the weakest of the bunch. I just found it kind of flat in terms of the characterization. And yeah, there just wasn't much there to lab- latch onto. And it was a fun adventure, but it offered nothing new. And parts of it also made Ray seem a little bit smug and self-righteous, <laughs> which... I don't really think of her as being so that didn't land well with me um but yeah I think for me it's probably between the Snoke comic and the Rose comic for my favorites Mm -hmm. I'd probably give the Rose comic the slight edge just because I felt like I was getting a lot of new information in that that I didn't really get from the Snoke comic because I really enjoyed the Snoke comic and I thought that was fantastic but it really just solidified stuff that we already knew about mm-hmm. Kylo in terms of how he relates to Luke, how he relates to his parents, the fact that Snoke is abusive, um, which is all like compelling stuff. But I felt like it was all stuff that's previously been established and it was just being reinforced. And I think there was value in it because it was a well-told story in its own right and it provided this really helpful foundation mm-hmm for understanding how things pan out later on, especially in The Last Jedi, um, because you really see how Kylo is able to trick Snoke, basically, mm-hmm. with the trick that he pulls in that yep. tree. And 
it, it again it was like a reiteration of many of the things that we I don't know you and I especially and other fans who are paying attention it feels like noticed in The Last Jedi it was a re-education um, and the only things that we did learn was maybe some kind of cool force stuff which added kind of to the overall mythos um, it, a little bit more of the POV of Kylo and his own internal mo- like although it was comic based you can you can only kind of assume so much but it, how he reacted to the situation gave us a little tiny bit more POV and and yes, you're right. We got way more information because almost everything in the Rose comic was brand new for us. Yeah. No, and I think I just really enjoyed the story they mm-hmm. told there. Um, because, yeah, it added lots of like tangible aspects to Rose's story that in terms of you see her talk about a lot of stuff in The Last Jedi, in terms of her background and what she suffered and what brought her to the Resistance... And I really appreciated actually seeing that dramatized and seeing that early experience for her, well, how they were able to live viscerally through this flight simulator. And I thought that was a great fake out where you think that actually flying mm-hmm. the first few pages of the comic and then you realize, oh, it's just an illusion. But that was great for me because I was like, who let these young children pilot the ship? What is going on? I'm very, very worried about this situation. And, that, and that's been like established in other places that many young pilots in the resistance especially were given as children these flight simulators or had access to them and like even in black spire outpost we're gonna you know get into that in a little while but they you know talked about bringing them to the planet so that you know the local people could learn how to fly it was just it's really it's 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 just a really interesting little thing that they they did bring in there i particularly enjoyed in the rose comic the use of the minds metaphor um and symbolism which is uh like very much a symbol to the degrading you know degradation of the galaxy through war and uh they have used it all over the place pretty much anywhere the empire or the first order touches is turned into a mine for its raw natural resources and it it started out as a mine that was barely livable but they were making a a goal of it and the first order by coming back there destroyed the planet so that is the trajectory the first order is on maybe they could have survived under the empire the first order is in some ways worse yeah no the first order is like less a government and more like a parasite kind of sucking Mm -hmm. things out of people and worlds and everything it's very yes (laughs) um yeah and i really loved that conversation that leia had with Paige and Mm -hmm. rose and how they're able to bond over that shared pain of losing your planet i thought that was really beautiful and that sort of scene showing Leia taking the time to speak to and comfort these young women when they were just like these lowly new recruits. I think that says so much about Leia herself as well in terms of she's so loved and respected and admired precisely because she does embrace everyone and she does have that connection to everyone mm-hmm. 
regardless of their position. And yeah, I thought that was a really beautiful moment. I really loved at the end how we found out that the story was being told by Paige and not by Rose. And that was a really good turn of... um, In that Rose felt like Paige was always the person that she would look up to and her hero. And we find out that Paige felt the same way and that in some ways you're always somebody else's hero yeah no exactly and it's especially poignant because obviously in the last jedi for clear reasons Paige does not get much to say so i feel like it makes it extra special when you do get this sort of testimony from that sort of character where yeah she's gone she lost her life in the fight but she still has a story to tell and that endures through her sister yeah there's something really beautiful in that yes i i was glad to see it i just felt like um i don't know why couldn't we get like a whole series of them being in the resistance you know in a comic form i think that would be really nice yeah i definitely feel like there's lots of potential Mm -hmm. i know that they're stopping like the existing star wars title in december or something like that and restarting it so I really do hope that we get more stories about the sequel trilogy characters that could potentially incorporate more about Rose mm-hmm. and Paige. And yeah, with the Ray comic, I feel like there's less to say. To be honest, it's almost like filler content. Can I can I summarize it symbolically for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sure, like a speed run of Padme's journey where she doesn't die symbolically. Yeah, you need to pull this apart for me. <laughs> so talk me through this. Oh, goodness. There's like all of this stuff that the creatures on this uh, necropolis world talk to her about and how she goes and tries to face the monster that lives in the caverns. And then when she comes back, they're like, you were supposed to die. Why didn't you die? And there's like coffin imagery. There's all of the creatures that are on Necropolis all have arm wrappings just like Ray. Um, it's just, it's really, really fascinating if you kind of put on your tinfoil tiara and squint. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're making me want to revisit it because that didn't register with me at all. Like symbolically, I get really like jazzed when they're telling stories like conceptually and like through this very symbolic lens, the repetitive storytelling and chiastic nature of Star Wars is very fascinating to me. It's like looking at a massive tapestry. But if the end story is still not successful, then I still struggle with the source material you know <laughs> yeah there's only so far that symbolism yes you, yes exactly <laughs> but essentially like we got we got a very um like i don't know i i think it's just really fascinating that we got this like very very you know it it almost is um it, symbolic the way like vader immortal is symbolic it's it's but the story itself ends up just kind of being a lonely person that is is convinced through her experiences that she has purpose in the rebellion but to me it left wanting because to me we already know in the last jedi she still does not feel 
up to being the hero of the galaxy and nor is that enough for her so i don't think that she leaves the ray comic convinced that she has a greater place in the galaxy through her friends and the people that she's with she feels less alone but she is still alone and they make that point by her internal monologue throughout the comic talking about how she's having to do everything alone in big red boxes she is so isolated yeah. and so alone and even though you know leia has given her this i mean truly wonderful um buck up kid conversation uh, i don't feel like at the end of the comic she's like any less alone maybe she has yeah. a more directional purpose but the problem is at the beginning the challenge of the comic that she asks herself is how do i how am i how can i be less alone and that is not answered in the comic yeah because that's the story of the last <laughs> jedi basically yes. that seeking that belonging and being a rocky road yes <laughs> to put it mildly would you probably recommend these comics though like i i feel like i'd safely recommend the snoke and the rose comics and i'd recommend the ray one if you're just happy to see any more ray content because i don't feel like it's a i do not read, think that the basically. ray comic is a must read it it will not expand your knowledge of ray's journey um Roses is definitely a must read as far as if you're a, a Ray Stan or a Rose Stan or you, you know, just really like to have a good Star Wars story. To me, that that is kind of a lens that I try to look through things. Is this a just a solid, you know, thematic? It has family. It has adventure. It has, you know, uh, struggling against the pains of the galaxy and the endless suffering of the Star War. You know, it has all of that. Yeah. And to me, that just makes it just an A plus Star Wars comic. Um, the Ray one, although adventure, struggles to try to find what it truly is. It's yeah. trying to say a lot, no. but is kind of maybe not successful in telling things truthfully, symbolically, and from a story perspective, which is the endless struggle of Star Wars storytelling. Yeah, no, it's perhaps just a bit muddled, really. Um, yeah, cool. Um, so let's move on to the next little thing that we want to discuss. Um, so basically, there's been loads and loads of merchandise <laughs> leaking left, right and centre in the last few weeks, because obviously we're coming up to... Oh God, what do they even call it anymore? Is it still Force Friday? Yeah, triple, triple <laughs> yeah. Force Friday. That's... Oh my god, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's merchandising gone mad. Um, yeah, so we're coming up to Triple Force Friday and in a time-honored tradition, lots of shops are putting things out on the shelves before they should. And so that means lots of random bits of information and getting mm -hmm. out there. And this isn't a big story, but I just briefly wanted to mention the descriptions that we have for Kylo and Rey on their respective boxes. So for Kylo, we have... Supreme Leader Kylo Ren. As Supreme Leader of the First Order, Kylo Ren wields more power than ever before. Nevertheless, Ren continues to search for secrets of the Force from the depths of the dark side. And then for Rey, we, we, and her one is also for Dio because he's packaged with her, Rey continues to study the Jedi ways, but she grows concerned about what the future and the Force may hold in store for her. 
Cobbled from odds and ends in the workshop of a droidsmith, little Dio is an impressionable little roller that becomes fixated on BB-8. <laughs> so, that's cute. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how much we can say about Dio, although you might be able to read some great depth into that, so I'd be very curious if you can. <laughs> um, but yeah, what stands out to you the most from these statements? Oh, how, how unhappy Kylo Ren is. <laughs> Yeah, he's never happy. Always searching for something he's always, else. He should have he's everything. He's always looking for a purpose because he has yet to find it. You know, and yep. and it's even in the statement, it's like, nevertheless, yeah, uh, there's always that pregnant butt in there. <laughs> like, oh, but I guess he's still not happy. Well, okay. You know, that's the story of, of, of this character that we're getting is just that he is supremely leader leader and unhappy (laughs) supreme leader unhappy levels of not still finding fulfillment not still finding his purpose and um is it's really interesting especially to see the parallel between the two of them that they're both looking for secrets of the force (laughs) yeah it's like oh huh they're both looking for the answer within almost like the galaxy. They, they're waiting for the galaxy to tell them the answer when we know from a, a force perspective, as soon as you start to look inward and listen to your own feelings, that is when you're most connected to the force. Yeah. What, it, what stands out for you? Yeah, I think probably the Kylo mm-hmm. stuff feels very interesting to me. Um because, yeah, like it ties into where we last saw him at the end of The Last Jedi. Because obviously we see him, he's become supreme leader. He's assumed that role of ultimate power, but he's still very dejected and forlorn, basically. So he's clearly not going to be all chipper and happy and have everything together when we first find <laughs> him in the right Obviously of wearing the mask, so, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think it makes complete sense that he's still going to be restless and still searching for what is the point of all this what can make me happy what can make me fulfilled what can make me complete Mm -hmm. basically because he clearly doesn't know basically and is the ultimate irony that you can assume this status of absolute power but still feel nothing which is the vibe that you get from kylo at the end of the last jedi so yeah i'm very curious to see where that journey takes him shall we say so for Dio oh I love Dio I love this idea and I was I was a little like shocked they brought in another droid when we saw we were at celebration and we were actually sitting in the same row because we we went to the nine panel together that was so much fun and we we, that was we got to see Dio like roll out on stage um what did you think of Dio when you saw him oh I thought he was really cute um the droids they never like get me super hyped because that's not what i'm in the Star Wars mm-hmm. game for but he's he's adorable and i like that it's such a simple design it's like a will and a megaphone yes isn't it? it's just two things somehow attached to one another and yeah i'm sure it'll be really cute it sounds like it's gonna be like a baby bird yes. vibe and he's just sort of like a duckling yep. modeling after mother duck which is bba and they definitely have shown that in the concept art. Like they looked at ducklings at, as, you know, kind of the inspiration for Dio. He is a baby droid. They have given us an actual baby 
droid that is following after the adventure. They have given us a child symbolically in the storytelling that is a scavenged thing. Yes. Cobbled together from odds and ends in a in the workshop. I suspect he was built on Batu. I think that's actually where we're gonna start. Um, I have a lot of reasons for that, but specifically this and the hand tie on her hands comes from the wishing tree. Um, the I think that's where the kind of lightsaber fight or fighting against the trees is like I think they're on Batu. I think that's where they are. Um, and oh, and wow. to me, it makes sense that Dio was cobbed, cobbled together in the work in the droid workshop in Batu as a way to tie in the movie more directly to Galaxy's Edge and give us that feel that Galaxy's Edge is important because it will actually be in the movie. Maybe they're on some other place on Batu, but they're on Batu. And then Dio himself um, is the hope of the future from a droid perspective. And they will have have to nice. protect him and he will also have a moment where he saves the day thus handing things off to you know the future a baby droid so what we're saying is Dio will inherit everything at the end mm -hmm. of the film that Dio is like the true successor well, from a droid perspective yeah well the droids are symbolically there to witness things you know and they're yes. and they're there to tell the story and they're there to you know also be the lowest people on you know in this in the social pecking order they are the most affected by anything in the galaxy because they are considered to be the least social status characters in the in the galaxy yeah the witnesses to history and he is the least social status and a baby that is significant he represents mm. the the symbolism of the next generation Wow, that's really cool. I hadn't thought about that at all, but that's why it's so nice to have other people come on the show so they can share these perspectives. That's awesome. But, I mean, I yeah. I really do love the droids just because they are, they represent this like very weird, like why do they feel pain? Why would a galaxy be okay with creating a sentient inorganic material, like thing that feels pain and has feelings and... Um, but is also treated like a toaster. It It's just mm. an absolute reflection of the helplessness of the, of the galaxy itself to exist under the weight and the suffering of the Star Wars. They made, they made a baby droid. He's super cute. And he's, he, you could get him with Ray. I think that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that's at my level. That I can understand. On a side note, I'm absolutely <laughs> no, panicking. Just... We have not seen R two D two like at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like R two D two has kind of been done dirty by I'm the sequel. Just crying inside every time we don't see him, and then suddenly C three PO has like red eyes, and I'm just like, what is going on in this movie? <laughs> R2-D2 is probably still covered by the dust. <laughs> so they're like, we don't really need you, old man. Although I, I appreciated the Poe comic for what they gave us between BB-8 and R2-D2, that one specific Poe comic. It, it was brilliant. 
Was that the ongoing Poe comic or his Age of Resistance? It was the ongoing Poe comic. It was near the end after, it's kind of like after TLJ because you get that weird conversation, the the couple of weird conversations with like Ray talking to Poe and Finn about kind of what had gone on. And it's like torture buddies, like Poe being the way he is. Um, But we get this you know, retelling of Starkiller Base and the attack on Starkiller Base from BB-8's perspective. And he is entirely respectful of the old veteran R2-D2 and their characterization and kind of the love BB-8 has for R2-D2 is just, it's just very satisfying from a metatextual perspective. No, that's really cool. Um, I need to check out more of those comics because I did hear really great things about the Poe comic mm-hmm. series but it was just about overwhelming because there were so many of them but I feel like it would be much more approachable now that they're all bundled and you can get a bunch of them at once and stuff as graphic novels yes yeah so yeah I might go back to them and sometimes some I find like hmm it's easier to to reread things after the story is done being told so you can actually pick up on all of the interesting parallels and symbolism and metaphors that are being told through the lens of these stories like I didn't read for example Legends of Luke Skywalker until after The Last Jedi came out and to me it it clicked everything into place about a ton of stuff that they were trying to tell us with the lead-up books that didn't make sense necessarily if I had read it beforehand so rereading things kind of with the lens of the completed story will be really interesting yeah no definitely so i feel like we're done with the news (laughs) now so let's move into our main attraction which is a spotlight on galaxy's edge black spire would you care to read out the synopsis for the book i'll try (laughs) walk the ancient streets meet the colorful characters and uncover the secret history of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, the upcoming expansion to the Disney Parks experience. <laughs> I'm trying to give you my best, like, reedy voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so cool for it. That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> After devastating losses at the hands of the First Order, General Leia Organa has dispatched her agents across the galaxy in search of allies, sanctuary, and firepower. And her top spy, Vi Moradi, may have just found all three on a secluded world at the galaxy's edge. A planet of lush forests, <laughs> precarious mountains, and towering petrified trees. Batu is on the furthest possible frontier of the galactic map. The last settled world before the mysterious expanse of wild space. <laughs> Dramatic reading by Marie Claire. No, just kidding. Yeah, no, it's great. You're doing a fantastic the rogues, job. smugglers, and adventurers who eke out a living on the largest settlement on the planet, Black Spire Outpost, are here to avoid prying eyes and unnecessary complications. Vi, a resistance spy on the run from the First Order, is hardly a welcome guest. When a shuttle of full of stormtroopers lands in her wake, determined to root her out, she has no idea where to find help. 
my vi will have to seek out the good-hearted heroes hiding in the world that redefines scum and villainy with the help of a treacherous trooper and her acerbic droid she begins gathering a colorful band of outcasts and misfits and embarks on a mission to spark the fire of the resistance on Batu before the first order snuffs it out entirely well done that was very there nice you go. <laughs> i like that with full dramatic impact just to explain to people before we get into the full discussion we're going to give some general thoughts about the book first and we're going to avoid spoiling mm-hmm. things in those general thoughts um, but then when we go on to the more detailed discussion of the book, we will be going full in and talking about everything spoiler wise. So you can stay for a little bit if you haven't read it just to get the general vibe for how we felt about the book. But yeah, if you haven't read it yet and I recommend reading it, then yeah, hold off until you've finished it and then come back and listen to our discussion. Um, yep. Yeah, so with that said, what are your thoughts about the book generally speaking did you enjoy generally speaking i did like it a lot and there are there's so many like really wonderful moments and like scenes and it ties together from a plot perspective very well um it actually makes me one of the things like about this and crash of fate although crash of fate less so because it was more focused on kind of the two characters and their like personal journeys um this book made me even more want to go see galaxy's edge you know like it really did a good job of layering in the <laughs> almost like advertisement for galaxy's edge which I, I, I'm okay with it's Star Wars. It's fine. It made it seem not so weird with one kind of conceit about Galaxy's Edge itself. Um, and that is that force objects are literally everywhere. <laughs> and that to me is the only yeah. thing that like something about Batuu, they literally find one day a holocron and a kyber crystal and a f- different force object it just seemed like okay yeah we've got to have a canon explanation for why there are just thousands of them waiting for joe public to buy in a disney park <laughs> so they, it's clearly just because and that is the conceit of galaxies that just like all of this like crazy force stuff and artifacts and like why didn't kylo just go and shop at the store like if he was looking for more stuff it just like that's the only thing that kind of like makes me go like this stuff is supposed to be rare but on batu for some reason because of the ancients or whatever it is not rare it is actually like they have a whole salvage operation that they are able to maintain pay people well feed them lunch and take care of them from a community perspective because of all the force stuff that they find that to me is just really kind of a fascinating conceit about the world itself to me other than that the buildup of the actual planet and like all of the history i just want to know more i want to know like who these ancients were i want to know why they were on batu and now they're gone and like all of that like i really would like to understand all of that um and then i'm a huge fan of kind of like frontier 
you know, Western type politics where it's lawless, but there's a sort of sense of law. And so with Doc Onders and with uh, Oga, um, you end up getting kind of this really fascinating internal politics within, um, you know, the Black Spire outpost itself. And so that creates like just mm-hmm. this really lush storytelling environment that there was a story, an adventure within it, but also the surrounding everything was fascinating. Yeah. No, it was a really cool setting. And yeah, I really enjoyed where they took Vi and Cardinal, who's known in this book as Archex, because yeah, that's his actual name in this book i thought delilah s dawson the author did a great job of extrapolating those characters mm-hmm. and further exploring that dynamic and how they were impacted by what happened in phasma because i think it's safe to say that if you read and enjoyed phasma you absolutely have yes. to read this book yes. basically it's a must read um you can't separate the two in my opinion i think you need to read both books to get the complete mm-hmm. story um and yeah there's just some great powerful character stuff and they also introduced a bunch of new characters who I really liked and I won't talk about them in detail right now because we're going to go a bit more in depth with Mm -hmm. that in a minute but yeah safe to say I enjoyed them all and yeah I was very impressed and for me it was a really nice relief to read this book because I'd just come off Crash of Fate, which I didn't enjoy much. And I can't, in all fairness, judge that book in the same way I can judge this one because I didn't quite finish mm. Crash of Fate because I just reached a point where I just completely lost my interest and I couldn't get through it. But yeah, it was nice to read this and feel like hope for this sort of storytelling again because, yes, there's something inherently cynical about a book like this because ultimately on its most basic level it exists to get people hyped about this theme park Mm. and get people to go to the theme park that's what it is and it's clear when you are reading this book that that's what's happening so they make black spar outpost sound like an absolutely wonderful place that you would 100 percent want to visit but yeah like crash of fate was kind of doing a similar thing in terms of feeling like an advertisement for the park but the, prob- the difference is that I feel like this book actually had a compelling, dramatic story and interesting character development and stuff. And personally, I didn't feel that from Crash of Fate. Like, how did this one compare to Crash of Fate um, for you? Crash of Fate to me is, is kind of weird because I caught it right away that it was a, in some ways, Crash of Fate is a gender-bent uh, Luke and Han AU fic. I interviewed Zoraida and I'm like, I really get the feeling like this is a gender bent, like Luke in Han story where there's a romantic, like tangible history between them. And she's like, yes, that's absolutely on purpose. So it's like they're trying to repetitively even storytell that story from a different angle, which is really interesting to like kind of view it through that lens to be like, to me, it was like, oh, it's just Han and Luke. <laughs> if they had known each other as children, you know, like that's so I I kind of had like a very weird lens reading that book 
um, because I caught that kind of right away with all the parallels they were trying to draw. And I enjoyed it actually overall. But again, with both of these books, they lead it off in a very weird place because of what what it is trying to do, which is set up the environment for the experience within the park. And in some ways, it's also like they have said in the publishing panels, these are also lead in books for The Rise of Skywalker. So it's kind of preparing you mentally for where the galaxy is at and what is going on. Um, I enjoyed Crash of Fate. I felt like it actually played it a little bit too safe from a YA perspective. Um, It was a little bit too innocent in some ways. Um, But overall, I enjoyed it. Okay, awesome. No, I'm glad. So I want people to enjoy Star Wars, obviously. So I'm always glad, even if I didn't like something, when other people feel more positively about it. So yeah, that's fantastic. Um, Okay, cool. But I think that's our general thoughts out of the way. So I think it's safe to say now that we'll go into full spoilers. (laughs) So yeah, bye-bye if you have not read the book yet. But yeah, if you have read the book or don't care about spoilers and just want to hear what we have to say then welcome uh yep and let's start off with this whole thing that's going on with Vi and Archex mm. so yeah this is like the real meat of this book in my opinion um and these are the, the two main characters that we follow Vi is obviously the main main character she easily gets the most focus she's mm-hmm. the lead but Archex is the primary supporting character in the book. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed like how this book developed them from Phasma. I think I appreciated seeing how seriously Delilah took the aftermath of yeah. that experience of interrogation and the trauma of that from Phasma. I felt that was really well done. And it really made me feel for her and it also added this extra tension to the interactions between them because yeah Vi obviously feels like horrified and like suffered a lot because of what Archex did but at the same time she has these conflicted emotions because she does still recognize that inner core of goodness and the idea that there was something worth saving in him so it's not like it's all negative feelings going her way and yeah like in going the other way you also sense this like guilt and shame from Archex that's also balanced out by this continued pride in a sense in what the fu- what the first order represented mm-hmm. for him and specifically what his armor was able to give him because he's clearly a man who's suffered a lot and he's very physically challenged in this book in terms of he suffered very considerable injuries at Phasma's hand and those are injuries he's never quite going to recover from and yeah I just feel like Delilah did a great job of getting inside his head too and really making you understand that experience of like institutionalization yeah for him and how the first order basically ruined him for any other kind of life like up to a yeah I, I would say um I agree and like how we kind of fall back on these old things that we're used to and I think in some ways it was semi foreshadowing the return of the mask for Kylo you know because of you know even though you open up and you take off the mask sometimes you have to 
almost rely back on it for a little while until you're able to figure out who you are with or without. So that regression is a common theme. And so they were kind mm-hmm. of trying to draw a parallel, I believe we will see with Kylo in The Rise of Skywalker. Um, I agree that it it did actually in the end feel like he could never get past the physical and mental affliction and the only way that he felt like he was going to be of value in the end because of the circumstances was through uh you know a bodily sacrifice in the end i know that he didn't want to do that he wanted to live and i think that that's where i struggle cuz some of my some of my friends i discussed this book with a lot of people because it landed weird with a lot of people the ace representation landed oddly for people that are ace um the the Archex's story itself landed a little bit weirdly from an ableist perspective. And I don't think that that was Delilah's intention. I think she was really trying to give him like a really fulfilling story that he um, he had gotten through it. But in the end, with bodily self-sacrifice like that, where you end up dying, it, we don't see the character live through the day. So it ends up being a tragedy. And I... And it just ended up landing weird for some people that I spoke with personally. Um, mm. And that and that to me, like, just kind of colors things a little bit, even though overall I really loved the book. I loved the interactions with Vi and him. I loved Vi's relationships that she individually built with every denizen, you know, person, good and bad within the outpost. Like... It was some people loved her, some people hated her, like, and it all felt very genuine from Vi's perspective. And Archex's like role within the camp was kind of always changing and developing, and he was always trying to find his footing in some ways. It just like ended up having this kind of weird flavor tone in the end that um, made me question whether she had seen that when she was writing it. Right. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, with um the setting of Galaxy's Edge, I really enjoyed like how it was depicted overall. Um I feel like it also got much better over the course of the book because in the early chapters when Vi first arrives on the planet, it was really, really obvious <laughs> what was being done in terms of describing all the um market stalls and the things mm-hmm. you could buy at the market stalls. And then describing all the food offerings and all the delicious items of food you can buy on the menu, etc, etc. And that was very tedious, especially because I just read Crash of Fate and a lot of it was like repetition in terms of, yes, yes, I know that this these are things that are on offer at Galaxy's Edge, whoop-de-doo. So that was a bit painful to get to, but as it went on, it did start to feel much more organic for me. And I actually started to really enjoy the world and how it was being set up. For example, I really enjoyed Ogre's Cantina, yes. especially. Cantinas are always fun in Star Wars, but yeah, there were like not there were like lots of nice little touches. Like I enjoyed the false wall in the bathroom and how I could just be surprised by this random person like dragging her through the bathroom stall. <laughs> There's something fascinating and horrifying about that. Um, and yeah, I 
like the junkyard and the vibe that was going on there, even with the implausibly epic finds that were routinely <laughs> being made in that junkyard. That was a bit silly, but again, I enjoyed how it was described. Yep. And yeah, I also loved the cave complex. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and the descriptions of the action sequence when Vi is doing her whole Raiders of the Lost Ark thing to fetch the necklace that Ogre has asked her to find. I thought that was really exciting and well described. It really did feel like Indiana Jones. So it obviously wasn't the most original thing in the world, but it was very thrilling to read and fun. So yeah, top marks. Um, what did you make of the setting and how it set up all the different locations and stuff? So like the first time that Vike walks into town, uh, Oga shoots the like person that's sleeping with her lover or something like it's it, it's it's got that like she walks into town into a wild west town and it, from that moment you get the feeling that Batu is a western and I loved that this book as as a as opposed to Crash of Fate where you primarily dealt with Doc Anders you got a lot more Oga because she's She's just absolutely a delight and wacky and weird and like will refuse to speak English and eats gross things with her hands. And like she's just kind of a wonderful character that honestly flavors the whole place in that she's this amazingly forceful um, underworld boss to reckon with. And I feel like they did just a really amazing job of like giving Batu that feel you know and and black spire itself that feel uh the conceit of the junkyard being able to find like a holocron in in a trunk is fine um it's it's just they they find stuff all the time and maybe it's because they're all church of the force people and literally the force is like attracted to itself or something i don't know but there's something about that I was okay with all of the setup stuff, even the advertisement for the Rondo's Wrap place, basically. Like, oh, these wraps are so delicious. I picked one up and brought it back to Archex. I was fine with that. I, I knew what I was getting into when I picked up the book, of course, right? Um, I yeah. loved the world building that they did with being able to explore the caves and like, what are these caves for? That there's all of these ancient traps. And it just makes me want to know, like, what were these people doing there? And why did they basically trap their living room? Like, that always <laughs> that always makes me go, like, why, why are there poison fish in this pool that you're supposed to drink from? All, all of that stuff. Like, Yeah. I presumed it's because they wanted to guard their treasures. That was the impression I got on a very basic level. So I didn't see it as being a living space at all. Yeah, I... I just don't know enough, but like apparently there's tons of stuff in the caverns left over, right? Yeah, like you're right in terms of there's like cavities that they use for sleeping and stuff. Um, and yeah, I'm sure there's a long and storied history that will explain every facet of those caves <laughs> and how they came to be as they are. Yeah, it's de it definitely seems like they've had a plan in place, like they built up this history of like what happened and they're now like, you know, trying to tell us like what it is now that it's been a millennia or two millennia since these ancients were around, maybe even longer than that, because that's, you know, the Republic length of time. So way before the Republic, what was there? Um, 
I very much appreciated uh, their droid um, as well, Pook. <laughs> yes, Pook was really funny. Alan Rickman's Marvin the Paranoid Android in my mind. And I was happy to see <laughs> yes. that Delilah Dawson had used that kind of voice in her head when she was writing Pook. And, and Pook is just kind of like disgusted with humanity and sentience and um, like that flavor of droid is kind of that stoic and cynical and just done with humans is just always so enjoyable um very like hk47 from knights of the old republic uh very k2so those those droids are always fun um and yeah you know just just generally they did a really like delilah did a really great job of making us want to be there which I think means it's successful because part of the book's um, goal is to get you interested in Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. I think there was an interesting tension, though, between this like underworld aspect and also what a lovely, swell, welcoming place <laughs> it was. Like a farmer's market mixed with underworld. <laughs> yeah like I wasn't always convinced by the um balance between those two aspects because yeah like it was saying oh what a lovely friendly place it is and all it feels like home and yet there's all this like wild and wacky stuff going on with like people randomly murdering each other and it's like I think it's definitely going more towards the whole what a lovely swell place this is vibe of like random bursts of violence and immorality thrown in because yeah as a novel and we're not actually going to do this in the park we're not going to have like people being shot dead in front of the four-year-olds <laughs> yeah um unless they're stormtroopers then it's fine um but yeah like i feel like that was really handled as well as it possibly could be handled because again it's all about balance and there's this tension between telling a compelling and plausible Star Wars story, in which case the story in the canon is that this is meant to be a bit of a rough and ready place and that there are lots of smugglers and ne'er-do-wells. So naturally there are going to be people shooting each other and there are going to be people getting drunk and stuff. And those elements have to be balanced with this is a family-friendly resort that we want people to bring their strollers to and... Yeah, just wander around and feel completely safe and welcome. So, yeah, like I feel like it was mostly successful, but there were just a few times where that contrast between the two did stick out. To yeah, me. no, I agree. And it, uh, it is just kind of funny because I have not had a chance to go to Galaxy's Edge yet. I, I wonder how it's going to feel when I'm there. Like, will it feel... Like there's this, you know, tension between the resistance and the first order, obviously, like that's part of the meta story of the location. But will you be able to feel the underworld elements in the park as much as the homey country fair elements, which definitely there's a lot of like farmers in the fields who are producing grains that bring them to market and people that make their own home woven things which is wonderful in and of itself and it kind of a dynamic of star wars i haven't seen since maybe the phantom menace which is kind of interesting to, to kind of have that parallel to that kind of place yeah but yeah i definitely like how do you instill fear into the populace without actually having it be a fearful place it's i don't know 
yeah no it's tricky and i feel like the best possible job was done mm-hmm. with it so yeah kudos to delilah um yeah so for the new characters um just generally speaking i quite liked how there was a very clear contrast being drawn between what was going on with the resistance and how that embraced new people and how the first order interacted with the residents of mm-hmm. black spire outpost um and also the respective effects that being a member of the resistance versus being a member of the first mm-hmm. order house because yeah as i've mentioned before in the resistance is all about we can take whatever natural skills and inclinations you have and we can find a way to use them mm-hmm. basically whereas the first order is all about this flattening of character and this containment within a certain structure and obviously we're meant to be more attracted to and fond of the former uh, version of character formation in terms of we meant to prefer what the resistance does but yeah i just really felt like the novel did a good job of explaining the attraction of the first order and why it is so desirable to wear that armor and what that can give to someone because with our checks to go back to that a minute there is this repeated emphasis on how he feels so much more empowered and able in the Mm -hmm. armor than he does outside of it and it hasn't physically healed him in any way but psychologically it does give him that strength that he just doesn't have without it and yeah i just thought that was a really interesting idea that must have been something that um delilah was thinking from phasma because i remember very clear moments as phasma dons her armor how much more powerful she feels with each kind of iteration of the armor that she takes on and there's almost like this um vader Mm. moment that is um very much a foil to vader's you know mask moment in revenge of the sith where he gets the mast on and instead of kind of feeling trapped she phasma herself felt more powerful and liberated because of the fact that she didn't have to she now had kind of a role a purpose a mask you know and um archex himself felt a lot of comfort in having you know, hey, I know where my meals are coming from. I know who, what I need to do on a day-to-day basis. There are no questions. And a lot of people feel that way. You know, having structure helps humans, right? Having purpose yeah. helps humans. And even if that structure and that purpose is delivered, maybe from a lesser organization or from a place that that is corrupt, many humans will sync up to it and bend to authority because it's comforting for us to follow sometimes rather than lead yeah it it was well done i agree yeah so i think it offered some really interesting psychological insights in that way um but yeah with the new characters i just thought we'd um go through them quickly one by one so yeah like a big focus in the book much more of a focus than i was expecting was actually the bunch of new recruits that Mm -hmm. vi draws in to join the resistance because we should have said this earlier but oh well better later than never um a big like basically the whole purpose of her mission is to set up her resistance base on batu 
and create a safe haven for the resistance where they're kind of under the radar and they won't be noticed and as part of that she's also meant to be encouraging support for the resistance among the local population and so she picks up a variety of waifs and strays Mm -hmm. if you will over the course of the book and all of these characters get like quite fleshed out to the point where they all have at least one chapter of the book in the second half that's essentially dedicated to them and really gets deep into their story and their psychology which I really appreciated and really enjoyed um yeah so the first one that I'd like Mm -hmm. to talk about is Zaid who's a smuggler and owner of Midnight Blade and basically we first meet him because he's in Ogre's Bad Books and I believe his ship has basically been impounded because he lost some cargo (laughs) after being boarded and yeah he's just stuck around and doesn't really know what to do with himself essentially what did you make of that character? Like the rock star of smugglers, <laughs> like they like the eighties rock star yes. of smugglers. Like I imagined him just being that that type of character, like not really super reliable, but yet you know, kind of with the right group of people that he can care about, ends up kind of taking on, um, you know, a purpose. And the the <laughs> the thing that is always so funny is like and and by the end of the book like everybody's kind of working part-time to support the resistance <laughs> like they're they're working their day jobs and like resistancing in the evenings and on the weekends like it's a little like yes. that's how that's how rough the resistance situation is, is like and and very truthful to genuine resistances like you need to be able to still live even if you believe in a cause it was just i like he he ends up working as like the bartender in the end or something like that yeah no i did like that i liked that everyone had jobs yeah he had a very over-the-top personality which was in some ways kind of enjoyable like in and of itself i don't know it it's not a character we haven't seen before but still kind of nice to see again i guess yeah, no, definitely. And I really appreciated um, the story we got for him in terms of why he's compelled to side with the resistance against the First Order in the first place. And yeah, we learned that he had this comrade in arms in his smuggling endeavours who was basically murdered by the First Order just for questioning what they were doing and taking their cargo. And you can really tell, even from that brief chapter, that he's completely shattered and broken by that history, essentially, and that the friend he lost was a person who was very Mm -hmm. dear to him. And it's a simple backstory. It's not complicated. And obviously, we've seen it be done before, but I just felt it was done effectively. And it did give him a bit more substance and a bit of an emotional foundation beyond just being the charismatic smuggler guy, which he definitely was, and I really enjoyed that aspect of him. <laughs> but yeah, ultimately he felt quite well-rounded to me, which I liked. Yeah, like he was a pr- like already pre-disillusioned, which was kind of nice to not have to like get to that point. <laughs> like he was already like farther yeah. along than most smugglers and kind of people that ne'er-do-wells that uh, exist on the edge of society um, that we have seen in star wars before Mm -hmm. yep definitely 
Um, yep, and then we get to character who I know is one of your favorites. <laughs> I love <Cricky>. her. <laughs> Go ahead and talk about Cricky and why you love right. her. Uh, she's tiny. She's got the cutest voice. So I listened to the audiobook and kind of read the book at the same time because I have a learning disability and it just kind of makes it easier to do it that way so I can pronounce names. And uh, her voice done by January Lavoie was just so delightful and wonderful and just so cute. And yet she is this highly capable person that is consistently underestimated. And like anyone that has been underestimated who is actually very capable can feel empathy and, um, you know, see themselves in, in this character. But she's also like really cute. She's one of those yeah. bat looking type people, <laughs> creatures, um, a Chadra fan. Uh, they're, yeah. they're just adorable. And we saw them like in the cantina, uh, in a new hope, like drink, drinking the like too big, drink you know and like nothing is made for her <laughs> yes. and like I don't know I I just I, I just love her so much because um the character is just always trying to make things better uh doesn't sleep you know is trying to just kind of do what they can uh with compassion for the people around them and just trying to do good and I think that that is like Star Wars in a little bitty furry package yeah no definitely she's very wholesome and very pure it was really nice <laughs> to read about her um and yeah i loved that story of like overcoming oppression and bullying because when we start out mm -hmm. she's working on a market stall and vi basically recruits her by saying this man is horribly mistreating and bullying you and he shouldn't be allowed to do that if you want an alternative you can come with me and I thought that was a great character forming moment for Creaky and Vi. And yeah, it was just awesome because it takes so much courage to leave a situation like that. Even because, yeah, even when you're being treated horribly, it's what you know and it's what's familiar and what's safe in a certain way. So yeah, it was quite admirable and said a lot about Creaky that she was willing to take that step into the unknown and trust mm -hmm. Vi. And yeah, also the way that we get that real like moment where she shines at the end in terms of having to like jerry rig the first order ship basically mm -hmm. to make the plan go ahead like i felt like she really shone in that scene and obviously that whole scene the idea is that everyone has a part to play and if any single person didn't play their part the plan wouldn't succeed everyone mm -hmm. is critical to getting that plan to pan out as it does but I felt like she played the starring role and if she hadn't done what she ha had done there was like no comeback from that basically yeah exactly and I uh I just I want like I want her in more stuff I feel like she would be excellent as like a carryover into a live action movie or into a show or that sort of type of character would be a breath of fresh air from a Star Wars storytelling perspective yeah, we definitely need more aliens because, mm -hmm. yeah, it adds a different dynamic. And, yeah, alien representation for the win, please. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get to Dolin, um, who's this male farmer who basically abandons his community and grandmother to join the resistance after saving Vi's life. And this happens after Vi escapes the caves, basically, yeah. because Dolin and his grandmother help her out. And without their assistance, she would have died. So 
Again, very important characters in that respect. And I did like this character, but mm-hmm. he also felt like one of the blandest characters in that he had the most standard arc for growth in the book, which, which is fine. Not everyone can have a crazy arc. January Lovoy read him very dull. <laughs> so I don't... Oh, really? Yeah, like, no. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know if... I read his parts particularly as I was reading, as I was listening to her, but um, yeah, he had a very like monotone voice that she did for him. So she wasn't very inspired by him. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, no, he was, he was, he had a very straight up like, um, you know, I want to do what's right. My mom says no. And I did find it interesting that his like community was a matriarchal society. Yeah. And I also liked it as a demonstration of courage Mm -hmm. in order to show him having led this very isolated life in this remote community and the fact that he was still able to break free of that and take a stand even though he knew it realistically meant losing everything he'd ever known and leaving that all behind I thought that was very courageous and again it showed him as this admirable character it's just yeah like it wasn't anything startlingly new or different like even with like creaky there's the novelty of the fact that she's this alien species and her personality was a bit more distinctive i suppose than dolin um so yeah he's fine but just not a standout Mm -hmm. basically not as much as the others yeah and he ended up kind of having a mini love story which was a little like (laughs) wacky in the end i I don't know oh that felt so tacked on yeah like it it was like oh we need a love story oh so fine it's uh yeah it just felt a little huh weird (laughs) yeah that was literally like two pages i know suddenly they're kissing yeah and i also got really confused because i thought the character that he entered in this romantic relationship I got her confused, I think, with one of the women that Vi was working with at the junkyard. And I thought that the character he was kissing was like 70 years old. <laughs> I was like, but hang on, isn't he 25? <laughs> and But basically, I'd got these completely different women mixed up. Love finds a way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. Generational love. A I, I also found I was confused as well. So it, you weren't alone. I think that was done very... Uh, I don't have a good word for it. It was odd. <laughs> yeah. Did you mix up the same two characters as me? Yes, as well, I did. I'm yes. thinking that was the older woman. Yes, I did. Oh, good. That makes me feel better. <laughs> oh. That was an awkward moment until I realized what was happening. So, yeah. <laughs> By the way, no disrespect if there are extremely large age gaps in anyone's relationship. <laughs> but I really did think for a moment that he was kissing a woman who was like 50 years older than him. And. I, I was just a bit surprised. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to move on from this. Um, so Wolfgar Kaff, the uh, first order mm. lieutenant pursuing Vi in the resistance. Oh, he's so interesting. Ooh. He is, yeah. Very, very yes. evil. Definitely no hope of redemption for this <laughs> Well, <match>. it was... <laughs> like, I loved... There's so many things that they did with his introduction. They gave him, uh, like, personal very personal ties to both of the two main characters, so Vi and Archex, through the lens of Archex's, like, you know, leaving the First Order. And he blames Vi. He wants to find Archex and, of course, bring him back and do all of those other things. But he is definitely blaming Vi, which is just... 
I don't know. It was just really fascinating. I liked the fact that he was atypical from a uh, first order perspective, you know, like, like we had just talked about how, you know, people are meant to fit into these molds. And he absolutely can't because of how huge he is and how his personality is and kind of all of these things. Everything about him doesn't fit the first order, except for his desire to cause pain. And I, I did kind of see like a desire to conform with the First Order and he's described as being very fastidious about his uniform, isn't he? In terms of taking great care to look neat and like in order, as you would expect from a member of the First Order. Um, so yeah, I saw that same fastidious fastidiousness there. But I think you're right to say that he doesn't fit the regulations as well as other characters mm-hmm. do. And I kind of get this, got the sense that this was a character who's desperately trying to like compensate for the fact he probably didn't make the best fit in so many ways. Like he's clearly trying to Mm -hmm. prove himself with his actions and he clearly feels very insecure in the hierarchy. And yeah, like he knows that there's a very real possibility that Hux will boot him out basically or do much worse in terms of ending Mm -hmm. his life if he's not careful. Like, wasn't there even a comment? I f- like how like normally they would have like restricted his calorie intake so he wouldn't have grown as large or something like that like I feel like there was something just offhandedly said that you know to try and make all of these people kind of conform within a specific body type range you are from the mold of the first order and because he was raised by the first order but for some reason his genetics made him like like giant he always felt like he wasn't worthy and so he was always trying to like Mm. compensate as you said yeah it's a really interesting take on a star wars villain and like i liked how delilah used really like clear Mm -hmm. contrasts between him and other characters to really emphasize how he was different and what made him this unique type of character for star wars because, yeah, he's not a cardinal because he doesn't have that inner glimmer of like potential to take a different path and to depart from that system. And he's not like Hux because, yeah, he's not quite as in the status quo as Hux is, even though he's trying. I think Cardinal was his glimmer. I think that's why he wanted to find him because he was his connection to normality or you know interconnection between another person and when cardinal left the first order like it put him off kilter and kind of spinning and that's why he was so obsessed with finding vi as the because obviously you know cardinal didn't make this decision on his own it was just uh, yeah, yeah there was a lot of things going on psychologically for um this character and it made him very interesting from a villain perspective. I, I like fascinating. Yeah, it's definitely the sort of character I'd like to see crop up mm-hmm. in other media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so hopefully he'll be revisited at some point. And yeah, let's just round things off with a little chat about how basically this ties into the rest of the saga and specifically like how it is preparing us for the rise of Skywalker and how it shows the status of the Resistance in the aftermath of The Last Jedi. I, I felt like it was all very much as you'd expect 
because yeah it just reiterates what we knew in terms of the resistance is heavily diminished and is suffering a great deal <laughs> um but yet yeah, there's still hope and everyone's persisting and everyone's still trying and doing what they can to reassemble their forces and i think the thing i appreciated most about the book is for me it did depict quite a plausible plan of action for what the resistance would do next to rebuild itself and to become something substantial to re-enter the fight mm -hmm. with um yeah i found that convincing personally how about you? i agree with you that it did show very clearly you know especially like vi calling for help and and um leia basically saying no like i'm sorry i can't because we don't have enough right now that made it very clear like they're very very desperate however they had the ability to send our checks on a meditation retreat <laughs> yes i found that quite funny <laughs> that sounded very it indulgent. was very dichotomous to me that they might have these allies that are almost pacifists out there that are willing to help re rehabilitate in a meditative zen-like manner <laughs> these people that need to be almost deprogrammed from the first order who are now you know of of use of value etc or, or you know need to have a moments of um respite from what has happened they had a spa effectively yeah it sounds very appealing i hope ray gets to go there she needs it i mean her new hairdo right no um it's just it, like that that felt a little like what is going on do we actually know how desperate things are for the resistance or is it that they're trying to do as much as they possibly can as fast as they can and thus they do not have resources that's a that's sort of a the angle that I've been thinking about it because to me I don't think it's as necessarily as desperate as you know the 50 or so people that managed to escape from crate I definitely think that maybe they're spread very thin but they actually have a lot going on yeah I definitely think there's more to the resistance and the people mm -hmm. on the Falcon at the end. That just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like Vi and Archex, they're obviously in the resistance and they want anything to do with crates. So there's clearly people scattered elsewhere. The Colossus with the resistance, right? Cartoon, we have, yeah. you know, these other locations. Batu is just one location. Do I think that we will start on Batu? Yes. And there's also the... Um, like other members of Poe's squadron who yeah. are also out there, of course. Lando, wherever Lando is, because we know he's going to be in the movie. Um, you know, lots of stuff. I also think that Black Spire uh, and Crash of Fate tell us a lot about the history of the galaxy long, 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 long ago that they may be like hinting at that they want to explore more in the future, but I don't know. They seem to be laying groundwork for a yeah. lot of things, um, telling us stories and hinting at stuff that they had never hinted at before, which is stuff that happened long, long in the past. Yeah. No, which could potentially be tying into mm -hmm. future movies and stuff. So I know it's a very popular fan desire that those movies go yeah. way, way back and I And past. I think that they're aware of that. Like, they're aware that 
this pre-time, whatever that is, um, is interesting to people. Like with, you know, the use of it in Rebels, Dooku Jedi Lost indicating stuff in the past, Master and Apprentice indicating stuff in the past. Like there is definitely, you know, the ancients themselves, the very, you know, n- name ancients means ancient. They're playing that up a lot. Yeah. And could be considered no, to be uh, foreshadowing or just indicating, hey, there's story that's going to go in that direction. Um, but we wouldn't officially know that until they do do that. Exactly. So, yeah, it will be the ultimate time will tell. Yeah. No. So I think that probably brings us to a natural wrap up point. Um, so, yeah, that was really awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your thoughts and perspectives. It was really great to have your insights especially on the book we had a really nice meaty discussion there (laughs) there's a lot in this book and I do think it's valuable to read especially if you're not able to make it to a you know galaxy's edge and experience it because it will give you some insight into what is this place in canon supposed to feel like and I think that that's the most valuable takeaway from the book itself what is it supposed to feel like well it's this uh balance between these different forces all at once as you said (laughs) no exactly and yeah i wholeheartedly recommend this book as you can probably guess from the tone (laughs) in which i've been speaking about it um for me it's one of the best styles books i've read in a while and yeah i'll be excited for whatever delilah s dawson puts out next basically Oh, the Skywalker Saga book is her next release. I think it's coming out either now or very soon. The Yeah, I'm less excited for that because like I always feel like retellings, there's like limits to how interesting they are because obviously there can be interesting facets in like the reinterpretations and how they present certain things. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's the story we've already seen basically. So I I am looking forward to that, but I'm definitely more excited for her next original yeah. novel so to speak as original as anything can get in licensed fiction basically <laughs> just to be clear because, yeah i still want it to be about star wars her her next original in star wars <laughs> yes yes exactly you know what i'm getting mm-hmm. at um yeah no so that's fantastic um could you tell people where they can find you and perhaps a little bit about your show sure so what the force is a very meta Star Wars podcast and I do (laughs) deep dives into myth and symbolism fandom I do a ton of interviews as much as I can possibly get my hands on people (laughs) and and that based on their availability um I dig into the music with Christy Carew who has been on Scavengers Horde before so we do a podcast called Meta Music which um deep dives into the music of Star Wars I just really like looking at Star Wars through this very symbolic and metatextual lens. And it helps me um, see what the greater themes and what is Star Wars trying to say on a personal level for humanity, because it is very driven from myth and from the teachings and study of Joseph Campbell. So if you view it from that lens, what is it saying about us who are interpreting it and understanding it? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
yeah. yeah. No, it's a really awesome podcast <laughs> just to lend my recommendation. And yeah, I very firmly encourage people to check it out because yeah, it's a great listen. And the interviews you get are amazing. Like you get such big names. It's pretty, wow. <laughs> very impressive. Oh, thank you. It's, it's all luck. <laughs> um, and I'm sure lots of persistence. Yes persistence is is key to getting interviews with Star Wars folks um and you know it it also helps me to kind of try to view Star Wars from a different lens for myself and it's it's like you're listening in on my weird Star Wars journey on how I view and think about Star Wars and how it's um kind of always the puzzle I'm trying to solve for myself (laughs) yeah no, it's a very fun hobby. It is. Like, yeah, it's, it's good to take these deep dives. I always look forward to doing that. Like, one of the main things I look forward to when a new Star Wars movie is coming out is actually talking about it afterwards. Exactly. That's easily one of the best bits. <laughs> Just enjoying it, yes. Um, so you can find me at uh, WT4Show on Twitter or whattheforce.ca is the website. I'm also on iTunes and kind of all the podcatchers as well as YouTube. I just post the podcast up there, but it's literally just the podcast. It's not videos. So if you like it that way, listen, I guess. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's so weird. People like it that way. I don't know. But yeah, Uh, come and check me out. Start a conversation on Twitter. And I, uh, I hope you check out What The Force. Awesome. Yeah. And I hope people do too. Um, yep. And people obviously can find me at Stars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Stars on WordPress, though I have to update both sites. So I haven't been using them that much recently. Um, okay. So let's say goodbye at this point. So bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.